Welcome to Worker Movement, a podcast dedicated to the working class, a podcast dedicated to raising class consciousness. This podcast is for you, for us, for the worker. The gig economy is an advancement in labor exploitation. For thousands of years, the ruling class has had access to servants, then slaves. Now through advances in technology and corporate lobbying, members of the working class can get in on the exploitation by timesharing a local worker. What does that mean when we say gig economy? It means that you use Uber, you use Lyft, you use TaskRabbit to put together your shitty IKEA bed. You use Shipped or Uber Eats to deliver your food. You you use some other person's exploited labor to bring you some, you know, goods because you're too lazy to get out of your house. Now during COVID, we take that back because people need that you know service to stay healthy. But at some same point in time, you're saving yourself by exploiting somebody else. So what does this mean? How does the gig economy hurt the worker and why does it even exist? So let's start with the construct that the gig economy allows working class to share servants. So you minimize the cost and by maximizing the effectiveness of that. And what that means is that in past, your servant would have to serve you all day, meaning you had to have the means to pay for somebody to work for you, to cook your meals or to go shopping for you or take care of your kids for the entire day. But now the gig economy has an app. They can tie someone to this. You can have someone go shop for you without you needing to have them with you all day, meaning that everybody in the neighborhood can pay for one servant. And you don't have to maintain any quality of life for that person because they're interchangeable because there's an app that controls how this person moves about. When you order from Amazon, you know, the contract workers that come and drop yourself off. This is all gig economy and it's all exploitation. So from the standpoint of sharing servants, it's basically a market efficiency. This gig economy is something that the working class, that middle class, upper middle class has figured it out that through central planning, they can exploit the workers collectively. So it, we had in the last episode, the discussion about how there are tiers within the working class. And every time we talk about the tiers, it's it's basically to prevent the people from below you to getting what you want or you, you have. So we talk about how, you know, there are two classes. There's the capitalist class and the working class. But then somewhere along the way, we've got the professional managerial class. We've got the petite bourgeois class that basically the upper management, lower management. Then we get into the middle rung of people who are now exploiting low-income workers. And we see that every way because it's constant fights for goods. It's constant fight for uh, any type of material needs that you have. And a really basic example of this is I work in a building and I'm being worked to death and I don't have time to eat. I'm making a wage that exceeds the cost of food. So I turn around and take a piece of my wage and pay somebody to go get me food. They're a gig economy worker. You're exploiting their labor. You spend $10. Tell somebody to get you food. They spend gas. They spend their time. They go pick it up. They bring it to you. And that time that it takes them costs you less money than it costs you to get the food because you're earning at a higher rate than they are. And you're exploiting them because you have to continue working so that you can make money. And so that's just the cycle of the lower class is being exploited by the class that's slightly higher, and then the class above them is exploiting you. And that's how the gig economy functions. And all this is set up on purpose because it's an exchanging of wealth, and it's designed to be a pyramid in which as you move upwards, you can exploit more and more people below you. And it's pyramid-shaped because... When you get to the top, you can only have really one billionaire with all the money in the world. 
Are you telling me that capitalism is a Ponzi scheme? I'm telling you capitalism is a part a Ponzi scheme <laughs> through and through. And it, and it's not only is it a Ponzi scheme, it makes you believe that you have the ability to move up if you sell um, extra t- tiers to your people below you and you recruit more people to join your Ponzi scheme, which is true, kind of, because if you're a small business owner and you get people to buy your shit and then you can hire more people, you've kind of convinced them that making $8 an hour is really beneficial to them. <laughs> it's a Ponzi scheme. And so what the gig economy allows is you can automate the layer beneath you by having an app that incentivizes people that make less that are in a lower tier on the three-dimensional triangle than you are to do tasks that allow them to make money and allow you to benefit to a greater degree than they do. (laughs) And let's talk about the debt trap. So Uber will help you get a car and they will help you find insurance and they will make sure and they will help you find the best paying fares at three o'clock in the morning on a Saturday near the bars and the, you know, airport. And they will help you do all these things that you can be your own self-made billionaire by doing tasks for other people. And all you have to do is make sure that you do stuff like put led lights inside of your shitty car and, uh, bring cold water and not talk to people when they're in the car with you for 45 minutes and play some smooth jazz or some shit in the background. Got to get that sweet, sweet five-star review. Not only are you being exploited, but you also are being serviced in a way that requires you to go above and beyond the means that you should in order to provide a service to some somebody who doesn't give a shit. They don't care. They were just going to be petty and give you a one-star because they can be petty because it's like some sort of psychotic... Yelp for workers. I don't know. It's it's really crazy. I don't even know where to go with this because at the same time, my brain is melting that you could even rank somebody based on them, you know, getting getting a one star because you, they got mad at you for shitting yourself in the car because you were too drunk, you know, to get out of the vehicle first and you got dropped at the wrong spot and guess who doesn't have their wallet. Right. I forgot my wallet in the car and that's the driver's fault or something. All right. So we have a gig economy. We have an ever-growing class of people who exploit it. Now, the wealthy have already had this ability to manipulate and abuse workers. They've already had drivers. They've already had, you know, if you're on the, on the C-suite of large corporations, you already get your lunch brought to you. you. You already have the ability to exploit workers because you have the means to. The gig economy has now shifted that, allowing for the middle class to take advantage of that which now means there's a large segment of people who don't want to see this convenience go away. And this instantly turns everybody that uses this into a giant class trader because you cannot use these apps that exploit other workers in a way that doesn't make you exploitive to those workers. Like it, it, in itself, it's self-defined, circular logic, that to use these apps and exploit workers makes you an exploiter of labor and workers, which means you're a class trader. There are a large number of people, as you just discussed, the benefit from this new gig economy because it allows individual people to be independent contractors, which means that the companies that pay them, like Uber and Lyft and DoorDash, they do not actually have to be provided benefits in many legal contexts. And this defers the responsibility of these corporations to simply being matchmakers. They are not mm-hmm. employers in the sense that they that the term employer has been kind of used historically, which means you get provided health care, you get provided benefits, you get provided vacation time. No, Uber and Lyft and DoorDash, they are merely matchmaking. They are assigning discrete 
labor-based tasks in exchange for money. It's a pure commoditized system. You become completely alienated from the actual bigger picture work that you do. Mm-hmm. You simply do labor in exchange for money, and these corporations benefit from this, and they have no other responsibility. And a large number of people seem to be okay with this premise, which is absolutely crazy to me. In the November uh, election, just a couple of weeks ago, the state of California passed Proposition 22, which classified app-based transportation and delivery companies, which we're calling gig economy companies. This proposition defined them as exempt from providing benefits to contractors, otherwise known as employees. And this passed by 58.5% were yes, which is roughly 3 million more votes for no. So a large portion of the California voter base, of which most people voting yes were likely members of the working class and decided that completely ruining a subsection of the working class to be even more exploitable was somehow a good idea. And it's because there's that ever-growing segment of the population that, that benefits from this. And because they benefit from the gig economy, they're not going to want to go away. So here's a real-life example. You get up in the day, you start your day off, your kid misses the bus, you call the Uber up to take your kid to school. You take an Uber Lyft to work, you get there, you realize that you need some groceries tonight, so you get on your app, you pay someone from Shift or DoorDash, whatever, to go buy you food at the store. It gets dropped off at your house or whatever time you have delivery set up. You then are hungry for lunch, so you decide that you want to get food delivered to you, so Uber Eats comes and drops off food to you. About 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you realize that you want a coffee, so you pay someone to go get you a coffee from Starbucks next door or wherever, where, whoever's doing it, or the Taco Bell in the mall. It doesn't matter. You wanted some snacks, so you order some more. You get home, and the thing that you ordered came in, and now you don't have anybody to put together for you. So you call up TaskRabbit, and they have someone come to your house and put together your furniture for you. After you just get home from work in another Uber, in a Lyft. Along the way, you've interacted with six or seven people in a day who all make nothing relative to what your income is. And they're almost forced to do it because they have no other economic means of survival. Because a lot of these people that are doing Uber are doing it as a a quote-unquote side hustle. And all the term side hustle is is a way to make the working class think that by working more, they're getting some sort of hustle or some sort of extra money. But really all it is is that they don't have enough income during the day to make their ends meet, and they're forced to live the rest of their lives as debt servants. So the side hustle economy, it's just basic exploitation. And they use these terminologies to convince you that what you're doing is actually beneficial to you. I mean, that's what's happening is an entire segment of people are now relying on this because it's part, they can work more. So they can be exploited more because now they don't have to leave the office to go get a coffee. Now they don't have to worry about owning a vehicle. Now they don't have to worry about all these other things that in the past, you know, were a pain in the ass for them. So it's just that exploitation just trickles downhill. You can stay longer at work. Great. So now you get a little bit more money. You can give that away to poor people to come and give you groceries at home because you can no longer have the time to go shop. And we want to draw a distinction between not having the time to do something and during COVID, perhaps not wanting to incur some healthcare risk associated with physically going and exposing yourself. There's there's a distinction to be made there. And we're largely discussing the situation where it's just more convenient for you to pay somebody else to be exploited while you're unable to economically justify driving your kid to school because they missed the school bus. 
Absolutely. And this time, I mean, if, if you're elderly or if you're stuck at home, I mean, the, the mental health issues people are having by not being able to leave are huge. But if you need someone to come do those things for you, do that, right? And that's why they should be frontline workers who are doing these type of gig jobs. But if you're just out there using it because it's easier for you, I mean, that's just bullshit. As a worker, we've discussed the multitude of ways in which you are being exploited as a gig economy worker. But what ways are there that you can rebel and actually fight back against this egregious exploitation by your own class? How do we fight back? It starts with the knowledge that as a worker, you actually have inherent power to do change. And we can do things like form a union. You can work to your bill of hours. It depends on what you're doing. You can work to contract. You can not give a fuck about the company you work for. And this is probably the number one thing you can teach people and help them out. You work for a company to make money. You're not there to make it successful. Unless you are in the C-suite or the VPs and they pay you so much money that you can become a petite bourgeois or the um, professional managerial class or or the professional consulting class, whatever the hell it is, you, you don't need to worry about the corporation. If you do not have a stake in the profits of the corporation, the corporation has a stake in exploiting you, so you need to not reciprocate and help them out. That's right. So the, the number one question you should ask yourself is, why do I feel like it's my responsibility to save the company money when I don't see any of the money that I saved? Number one prime example, getting mad at a customer for, let's say, returning something. Just the other day, I went to go get a price adjustment on something at a store, and the supervisor that was in the price adjustment got mad at me and frustrated with me because I wanted the money back that they overcharged me three days beforehand by putting on a sale that wasn't advertised. Like I was the asshole, right, who who wanted to buy at the higher price, who sold me the higher price value and basically stole money out of my pocket. And that's the way you should think about this. Like I'm not the company that sold me something at a high price knowing that in three days they're going to have a quote-unquote sale. And this is absolutely infuriating because the person behind the counter supervisor is now in a position of power. It's as if they own the company and they're trying to save as much money as possible. And I can't quite figure that out. Why does a service worker care if an individual customer comes up and says, hey, your corporation that you are employed by that is exploiting you screwed me out of $60? Shouldn't your immediate response be, yeah, fuck the company. Here's your $60? Absolutely. It's, it's a weird emotional connection. And I can't figure out. But I think it's some sense of ego that they've been taught or they've grown up with that that – being part of the system or protecting private property or protecting the business owner is something that brings them goodwill or, or feeling that they've accomplished something. And that goes back to the way capitalism isolates you and makes you feel as if you don't have any other thing to give the world besides working for a company to live because you focus all of your time and energy working that you don't have the ability to then actually know what other benefits you can give to the world. It, it's a function of propaganda that your value as an employee is somehow tied to the corporation's profits, despite the fact that you have literally nothing to gain. If you stiff a customer $60, who cares? Like, the corporation doesn't functionally care either. Nothing bad will happen. I, I, don't, I don't understand what the ramifications of advocating for the corporation against advocating for the customer is. Another example, 
I'm not saying you should go out and steal anything. I'm not advocating for theft. What I'm saying is, if you see somebody with a cart full of shit running out of the store that you work at, there's no benefit from you stopping them because a couple of things. One, you don't want to get caught up in that because you don't know what that person's going to do if you try to stop them. That's a safety thing. Two, going above and beyond to do that means now you're caught up in all types of shit. Like you got to like, you know, talk to the prosecutor and be a witness and, and that's all stupid. And three, overstepping your boundaries and, and stopping somebody from, from jacking all that stuff doesn't actually help you. There's no actual benefit in it for you at all because you're not going to get a raise. You're not going to be made, you know, a senior vice president of global marketing for this company because you stopped $212 with the merchandise hitting the door. You're not going to see any stocks, none of it. It's a bit of a gray area because it is plausible that you could be held accountable at your company for not interceding and preventing some sort of theft in some way, shape or form. But most corporate retail-based environments direct employees not to interrupt thefts. They have departments dedicated to asset management. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's simply not your lane in most situations. So the likelihood of there being repercussions or accountability are, are negligible in most cases. And it's really just fear that drives the exploited workers' motivations to intercede in a, a theft. We're not saying help anybody <laughs> get away with anything. We're saying that work to what your job grade is. And that's not security officer. That's not comptroller, right? That's not, you know, um, CPA. That's service. You do what service is, which is have a nice day and don't worry about it. Here's a real life example of this allegedly happening. In May, around the time that George Floyd was murdered by police, there was a protest that spontaneously began to occur shortly after the killing occurred, in which protesters were tear gassed and they went into a Target store, attempt to buy milk so they could pour it in their eyes because milk neutralizes tear gas. And the person working at Target refused to sell milk. So what did these people do? They just stole the milk. And at that point, everybody else decided that we can steal anything and everything we want from this Target. And the entire Target got looted to the point where literally nothing remained and the racks were empty and the glass was shattered in the grocery area. It was a bad outcome for Target. The point of this is, had that worker simply not given a shit about selling milk and just stayed in their lane, it would have been a better outcome for the corporation. Yeah. And we're, we're always advocating for the better outcomes of the corporation, right? Another and perhaps best example also relates to George Floyd. The reason why the cops were even called to the scene is because the grocery store clerk alleged that George Floyd attempted to pass counterfeit money. As a worker, you don't get paid enough to protect capital, and it's not your job. This whole episode is about how workers find themselves exploiting other workers. And it's important that... As you you know live your life, as you go about your day, that when you recognize exploitation, you attempt to not be involved with it. You stay in your lane. You do as little as possible. You don't try to be the one that exploits. For future episodes and to learn more about the worker movement, join us at workermovement.com.